Today's show is made possible by Fittery. You've probably purchased some dress and casual shirts online before, and sadly, you've probably had to return many of those items because they just didn't fit. Now, you do realize, of course, that billions are spent returning all of these poorly fitting clothes, right? Well, the madness can stop. The hassle of having to return all of this stuff can stop. Well, this is where Fittery comes in. They've devised a process by which you can almost guarantee that the dress and casual shirts you buy online will fit. And from brand names you'll recognize, Brooks Brothers, J. Crew, Land's End, Ralph Lauren, to name just a few. And they're adding more brands every day. Now, I myself use Fittery, and setting up my account was very simple and took almost zero time. Just go to fittery.com intrepid, complete the quick size tool, and you'll soon be ordering dress and casual shirts that actually fit. Again, that's fittery.com intrepid. You'll love Fittery, and you'll actually enjoy and look forward to ordering clothes online again. All right, let's do this. We're going live in five, four, three. Oh my, just so many business podcasts out there. How can I possibly know where to begin? Here at Intrepid Business, we are about stripping away all of the usual boring fluff and instead focus on showcasing real people doing real business, achieving amazing things the ones truly changing the world, the instigators making a dent, the people changing how we do sales and marketing, leading innovation, the people redefining leadership. But who are these people? Why do they do what they do? How do they do what they do? Find out on Intrepid Business. And now, here are your hosts. Good morning and welcome back to Intrepid Business. I am your host, Todd Schneck. Going to be a very interesting and cool conversation today. Yet another stellar business person who's written a cool book and works for a cool company doing and observing amazing things in the world of business. So always good to have a chat with a gentleman such as this because I always learn something. So we're joined today by Tim Matthews. He's the Vice President of Marketing with Encapsula. Tim, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, the pleasure is mine. Appreciate uh, you making some time to join us. Uh, much appreciative of that. Um, a couple of pieces of administrative work here. So before we get into our conversation, two things. Tell us a bit about you and your background, and then give us that ten thousand foot view of Encapsula. What do you guys do? How do you serve the market? Sure. I am a marketing veteran, about fifteen years in marketing, mostly in high tech. And I began my career in sales. So I like to think that I'm a salesperson's marketer because I've been in their shoes. I've been in those tough meetings. Uh, and I've taken that experience and over several uh, startups and public companies applied that to how to best attract customers, generate demand, close big deals and lots of them. Right now I do that at, at Encapsula, as you said. Encapsula is a cloud service that secures and protects websites of any size. So you hook your site up to our service. We look at all the traffic coming to your site. 
we block the bad stuff and we accelerate all the good stuff going back down to your customers. That's it in a nutshell. Very, very cool. Cool company doing some amazing work. So I'm already going to go off script uh, with my first question because you mentioned this idea of sales and marketing and the way a lot of people look at it is sales versus marketing. Where where do you stand on that debate? I mean, I, I, I'm of the opinion that they are, in essence, the same thing. And now that's only because of how I operate and run my organization. And so I'm, I'm a, we're a small shop, just a handful of people. And so we're, you know, it's one of those organizations where we all wear a lot of different hats. But, but what, what's your thoughts on that? Is, is obviously there's a, there's, there's, there's supposed to be collaboration there, but there's still far too many examples of where those two entities within a larger organization, certainly an enterprise, they're, they're combative. What, what are your thoughts on that? You're right. Sales and marketing should be a continuum, you know, beginning with the customer, coming to a site or to a store, depending on your business, and ending up with some kind of transaction. And my view is that I appreciate what sales has to do because I've been in their shoes. I also talk to a lot of customers, so I know what customers want. So I, I do think that there obviously should be healthy collaboration, but I think that there are different skills needed for sales management and marketing management. I, I would not be the best sales VP, I will admit. I don't wake up every day and you know Jones to close the deal or hit the number, and that's a really key piece of a salesperson's DNA. You gotta have that hunter mentality. I think more long-term and more strategic. And, and the reason I got into marketing and out of sales was that I wanted to take what I could write or say or think of and apply it not just on a deal-by-deal basis, but across an entire sales organization. So I do think that you need different skills in the leaders. I do think it's, it's a continuum. I think that having marketers who have sold is just so important. So many marketers have never even talked to a customer. I mean, imagine that. Mm-hmm. And they're writing copy that's supposed to attract them and convince them. So you do need people in your organization that have worked with customers and preferably in sales. That's, that's, my, that's my take on things. And, you know, there is, I do think that uh, you don't want conflict, but a healthy tension, give and take between sales and marketing is, is a good thing. Not all of my ideas are the best. Not all the requests I get from sales are good ideas. So a little bit of back and forth is okay. Healthy tension. So, give me, show me how, walk me through how that manifests itself between those two entities. I'm just curious. I think, I think you're hit it on the head. I just want to be sure I'm understanding and my audience is clear what you mean by this healthy tension. Yeah, healthy tension means that we can have a very frank conversation. So, for example, in my past, we've had quarters where we've missed the number. So, can we have a honest, candid conversation about why we missed? And I can say to a sales VP, you know what? I think maybe your guys aren't really trained up on our new offering and they're not asking the right questions. So let's figure out a way to to train them up. Or a sales VP can say, you know, Tim, those leads you sent, they're really not good quality. So being able to be a little bit confrontational in a candid conversation to kind of push on each other to keep each other honest. I mean, maybe you could think about it as, you know, if uh, I just watched the Warriors set the record last night. We think about it as, you know, the, the practice squad, like going as hard as you can in practice to make sure that when it's game time, you're the best you can be. And that's the kind of tension that I think is really helpful because otherwise you're just BSing each other and you're talking about each other behind closed doors with the CEO. And that's not healthy. 
You damn Silicon Valley people and your Golden State Warriors. <laughs> Good Lord. Hey, come on. It's been a long time. Somehow coming. they had to just come out in this conversation. You were looking for a chance to, to mention the Warriors. Good Lord. All right. Well, let's shift to marketing them. And so, and, and thank you for sharing your insights on that. I think that's a, uh, and I think this idea of healthy tension is actually the only way that can really operate. And, and if, if, if there is no healthy tension, as you described it, then I think that's doomed to be a, an unsatisfying result. So no, thank you for sharing that. So what is it like running the marketing team for a high growth cloud software company? What are the cool parts? What are the challenges? Yes, the cool parts are once you get the machine humming, you can just pour more money and more man hours in and see your sales skyrocket, which is fantastic. It takes a while to get there. It takes a lot of work. The flip side of that is that you are on a treadmill. And especially in my business, it's a cloud business we don't measure quarterly, we measure daily and weekly. Uh, so you're never done, and every day it's, why is this up, why is this down? And so you really gotta be on your numbers, you really gotta be paying attention, because there's, in our case, so many transactions, uh, you've gotta look at trends and patterns, not this deal or that deal. But it's a lot of fun. And uh, personally, I love the fact that now more than ever, a phrase which I don't like, by the way, uh, but now more than ever, you have so many more ways to reach your customers, and it's so much easier to measure the impact that marketing has. You can see the behaviors. You can literally watch customers come to your site, fill out the form fields, and see where they're struggling, and fix it on the fly so that your conversion works better on Tuesday and on Monday. So it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Uh, you. You described yourself as not as a marketer, but as a high-tech marketer. I mean, are there really differences? I mean, there's obviously parallels to anyone in marketing, marketing anything, whether it's a, a service, whether it's a widget, whether it's a, a whatever or some combination thereof. But are there nuances to being a high-tech marketer? I mean, is there additional pressure to being a marketer in Silicon Valley? Because there's such a uh, an eye towards what's happening over there. I mean, walk me through uh, some of the differences between high-tech marketers and and everyone else? That's a great question. And I will say that you remind me of a great conversation I had a couple of years ago at a marketing conference with a guy who sold industrial paint. And I was just so curious about his life because it's so different from mine. Mm. But being in a high-tech marketing role means a couple of things. One is uh, expectations for growth are high, especially in a SaaS business. We're supposed to be doubling every year. So that's a tall order for a lot of businesses that you, you wouldn't find in other industries. We do tend to be a bit insular, maybe even a little full of, full of ourselves, I will, I will say, here in Silicon Valley. And I think that's maybe not a healthy thing. But to really answer your question, when it really comes down to it, I've got all kinds of cool tools. I sell some awesome technology. I've got a fancy office with all the candy I could ever eat in the kitchen. But writing a solid value proposition, figuring out my target markets and the buyer needs, uh, making sure that I train my salespeople, these are skills that cut across really anything you sell in any kind of marketplace. So that's, that's common. I think, ironically, we get so caught up in technology here in Silicon Valley that we forget about some of the fundamentals. Well, that's a, uh, that's a problem. Uh, forgetting fundamentals is a common tale across all swaths of business. But this, the notion, I'm curious as to your, uh, I think you were sort of joking, 
the idea of maybe the marketers here in Silicon Valley are a little full of themselves. But but isn't that kind of expected? Isn't that part of the brand? Isn't that part of the mystique and what is so what people find so intriguing about what's happening in Silicon Valley? I mean, you would never describe Travis Kalanick with with Uber as a sweetheart. I mean, he's <laughs> he's been he's he's been anything but that. And that's that's in part what's feeding this thing. But but isn't that sort of the brand and what people expect out of there? You're right. I mean, Travis is the new, you know, pick your person. Larry Ellison, right? You know, mm. people who are not necessarily likable, but are titans of their industry. And I think there's a certain brash attitude and bravado that comes out here in Silicon Valley. And probably, you know, here in the West, anything where you had to break through and be different, you had these pioneers who acted that way. And yeah, it's kind of cool to be part of technology that's changing the way that we live our lives. I mean, think about the impact that the iPhone has had on all of us. And that was just the germ of an idea. And that really has changed the world. And so being part of something that can touch so many people and having it all be concentrated here. There have been attempts to replicate Silicon Valley and other cities and, and no disrespect to some of those great cities. The magic's not there. The coffee shop buzz, the no idea is too crazy the you know money and the talent and the wisdom available all within a you know 35 mile radius is pretty unique and that really drives us and so yeah it is it is great to be here and you are part of something that you might not be part of if you live somewhere else in the world or work in some other industry. Well, what is that magic? I mean, define that. I mean, I, I, not every place has a, win, a you know binge-worthy series produ- produced by, <laughs> by the likes of whoever's producing Silicon Valley, which I think is launching, uh, uh, probably just launched as uh, just after we recorded this. But, yeah. uh, but what is it? I mean, I'm in this boring city called Chicago. I mean, there's nothing happening here worth any talking about, you know. And I came from Atlanta, and there's a, a thrilling, growing tech scene there but you're right it's different than silicon valley i mean is it the brashness is it the fact that there's an attitude hey if i'm here i am changing the world there's definitely a little bit of attitude but i think that the bigger underlying characteristic of silicon valley is that anything can be done and no one is going to tell you you can't do it and that's not true of a lot of other cultures around the world and even you know cultures within the u.s there's certain cities and cultures where it's maybe too formal or You've got to, you know, earn your stripes and you can't do that because you haven't worked for 15 years yet. Here, if you build it and you can convince somebody to buy it, then people are going to beat a path to your door to give you money, to work for you, and you know, to be on their podcasts or TV shows, what have you. And though Silicon Valley, which I, I love as a show and Mike Judge is a genius, uh, is kind of ridiculous. You know, a lot of industries that are really important can be ridiculous at times. Finance comes to mind, for example. It's been lampooned, but also is super important. But it's just that ability to have an idea and make it real. That, And I've worked for companies based on the East Coast, and you get a lot more naysaying. Not, how can we make it happen, but you can't do that. And, you know, I've heard people describe this as turning around can't to can if which it's a, it's, it's a bit simplistic perhaps, and uh, it sounds like you know, self-help, but it's a really important difference in how people here view possibility versus people in other areas. Not everybody, but you know, generally as a norm. 
Yeah, no, I love that. Can't to can if uh, I'm going to steal that. The, the 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 before we go to break, the one thing I want to pull from what you just said there is, yeah, no, you don't have to reside and run a business or be a part of something in Silicon Valley to be the only people who can say anything can be done. That you, no matter who you are, no matter where you are, no matter what you're trying to accomplish, you need to have that attitude and that and that and that cockiness. I don't like to use that word cockiness, but that's what it is. I mean, yeah, and brashness, as as you said earlier. I think you need that attitude. I think you need to be to be confident and say, yeah, you know what? There's nothing to lose here. What's uh, if we if we set our minds to it, we probably can make something really yeah. cool. Yeah, a little bit of chutzpah never hurt anybody. Never hurt anyone. All right, Tim Matthews and I will return after this short break. We'll be right back. Golden Source Consultants is a different kind of management consulting firm. Like their logo, The Lion, the firm represents the courage and ability to overcome difficulties. Once and for all, GSC is dedicated to helping clients solve critical challenges, tackling organizational change and business transformation with turnkey solutions and agile project cycles. The lasting value of their work is seen and felt in their clients' ability to sustain improvement and meet business objectives long after the project is complete. Join Golden Source in their fresh approach to problem solving by contacting them at 404-692-5540 or learn more about them online at goldensourceconsultants.com. All right, I am back with Tim Matthews, VP Marketing with Encapsula. So, Tim, we spent most of the first half of the show talking about uh, uh, Silicon Valley, which connotes the future and where we're going and changing the world and all that. But uh, I want to kind of shift mindsets here. And, and a lot of the writing that you've done about marketers come from the past. And in one case, you talk about some folks from the 1800s. Why does that kind of stuff still relevant for a guy in Silicon Valley? So I am definitely a bit of a history buff. I read a lot. And of course, I love marketing. And I just came across these wonderful stories in writing my book that I wanted to share with people. And, and my favorite is about Peter Smirnoff. And, and there's a great book called The Vodka King by Linda Himmelman. She talks about Smirnoff, you know, how he built up his vodka empire. But the short version of the story is that he was using word of mouth marketing back in the late 1800s in Moscow to sell his vodka. And he had a very simple idea. He would hire people and he would send them off with a stipend to go eat and drink at you know, eventually every pub in Moscow. And they would ask for Smirnoff vodka, which wasn't widely known at the time. And if it wasn't available, they would raise a stink and demand to know why this fine bar <laughs> wasn't serving Smirnoff. And then they went bar to bar to bar to bar. Imagine having this job. And then when they saturated Moscow, they went on the train lines all in a different direction. And they went town to town, bar to bar. And I think, you know, that's just a, a wonderful story. And couldn't you think of a way to do something like that today, either physically or online, having advocates go out and demand why somebody wasn't using your software, wearing your clothing, whatever it happens to be. So I just like to bring these up because there are so many wonderful stories from the past that are really interesting that can inspire people to do things today. That is an outstanding story. Somehow I have never heard that. So thank you for sharing that. The, 
You talked earlier in the top half of the show about how you still got to practice the fundamentals. And, and I, I, I hear that story and I, I'm saddened because there are a lot of people who are into marketing now and trying to learn and trying to achieve success and gain experience that are afraid to read a book that's, over, that's older than two, three years old, <laughs> let alone learn lessons from eight, the 1800s. I mean, that, 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 that story you just shared about Smirnoff, it, it, there's so many relevant modern lessons from that, that if you don't listen to that story and be inspired to think about how you can do something like that and something similar to it, I mean, you're, 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 well, you're not going to succeed. Why are we so afraid? And, 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 and where do people go to, to learn more about some historical references with regards to, quote, marketing? Because to, to, that's where the fundamentals still really can be learned, right? Is from the guys who've done it for a long, long time and were so innovative I, and so thoughtful. Yeah, I totally agree. So I can't make people read more, but I will say that we have too much of a fascination with the now. And maybe this yeah. is even more of an issue here in Silicon Valley. I mean, look at Mad Men. People love that show. And there's some great examples of the work that was done in the 60s with advertising. Focus groups came out in the 60s. Television advertising became a big deal in the 60s. So even, even there, you've got some wonderful examples. I came across you know, fantastic works by uh, David Ogilvy, who's an advertising giant. A, a favorite of mine is a book called Being Direct by Les Wonderman, who was the pioneer of direct mail, right? Those letters you'd get in your mailbox. And the stuff he was doing in the 60s to sell, and I'm not making this up, to sell rose bushes via direct mail mm. is equally applicable today for people who are trying to write great email subject lines. How do you get people to open it, read it, and then eventually convert? So I would just say that there's some just great examples. Um, I've written about a number of them on my blog and in my book, and there's so many out there. I just encourage people, if you like to read, go out and pick up a marketing book from you know more than five years ago. Uh, stop reading the 71 ways to use Snapchat to drive your sales <laughs> and just pick up a book about, you know, marketing or advertising or something from, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago and, and see what you can you can you can leverage. And also, by the way, your comp your competition is probably not reading that book. Yep. So it's a great way to find ideas that are different than what everyone else is doing. Well, in the process of applying those those. I don't want to say older lessons, because as we've just been saying, that most of them are still applicable. But but reading those older materials and then thinking about how to apply it to what you're doing now is the whole point, is, yeah. is, is the why you even do that. And the exercise of thinking deeply about how or how do I how do I apply what David Ogilvy just said in his book to what I'm doing now, that, that's the whole point. That's why you do it, because it's, it's inevitably going to come up with some interesting little nuance that could be game-changing for what you're doing currently. So, yeah, no, as you said, there's countless examples of books like that, but you know, Ogilvy is always a good start. Uh, and frankly, I think he was the, the model for what they did yeah. in Mad Men. Anyway, I, think, so, I think you're right, and highly so, recommended. Yeah, yeah, he's got so many good books. So anyway, so, all right, well, you, speaking of books, you mentioned yours, The Professional Marketer, which came out, I think, 2014. Not, it's one of those, quote, older books that is absolutely <laughs> relevant and worth reading. Uh, talk about the book a bit. What's it for? Who's it for? What's it about? So I wrote the book because I couldn't buy it. I, I mean, I'm, not, I'm only half joking. So I, I, in my years of managing marketers, would always be surprised at how myopic or pigeonholed people would become. People who could put on a tremendous uh, trade show, was organized to the T, 
couldn't write a good press release or didn't know how. People that could do a great positioning statement had no idea how to write or create a marketing budget. And what I was looking for was uh, an A to Z, a soup to nuts, fundamental skills for marketers. And while there are, you know, one million great blog posts and some great specialized books, there wasn't anything that fit the bill. So I set out to write a handbook for marketers that would teach them the fundamental skills that they could then apply to whatever market or whatever job in marketing they had. Very, very cool. And I have to ask, I hear something about your wife being a chef that had something to do with this book. Tell us about that story. Yes, I, I do have a good life because my wife can make pretty much anything without a recipe book, which is simply amazing. But the reason she can do that is because she went to culinary school and the book that they all used at the culinary school is called The Professional Chef. And The Professional Chef teaches you those fundamental skills, sauces, heat, basic chemical reactions, ingredients, and you then take those fundamentals and apply them to whatever you're making. And that was the inspiration for my title, The Professional Marketer. It's the same idea. I'm going to teach you the fundamental skills. I'm not going to teach you how to sell paint or cloud services or clothing, but I'll teach you how to take those skills and then apply them to a significant marketing task like figuring out your go-to-market strategy. I love it. Well, you and I are apparently the two luckiest guys on the earth. I am a cook. I assemble. I follow recipes to the T. And if 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 I can't follow the recipe exactly, I freak out. My wife is a, my <laughs> wife is a chef. She oh. she will gl- she will glance at a recipe and say interesting, and then she'll create something entirely on her own based on on what she looked at briefly at, at a recipe. So it's amazing. Uh, yeah, it is amazing, and it's it's a skill. It's an art, and I love how you apply that to to the concept of the book. Cool stuff. All right, so. Second half of the show, Tim, we've talked a lot about old school stuff, some stories from the 1800s and David Ogilvy and those kinds of things. But I have to shift as we close. What's happening now and what's coming that's got you excited? I'm really excited right now about conversion rate optimization, which is testing out live on your website different variations. We use a product called Optimizely, which allows us to, in real time, for example, put two different offers or two different headlines or even two different button colors on a form and see which one is more effective. And it's amazing how the results can change with some very simple tweaks to your website. So that's really cool. That is cool. I mean, this, boy, a couple of thoughts off of that. I'm frustrated by how many people don't test. And don't and don't experiment with those kinds of things to see what kind of impacts it. It's amazing what 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 you might consider one minor little adjustment that you you would think most people would never notice can have a dramatic impact. Most people aren't doing that kind of testing, so that's one lesson from that. Two is this whole idea of, of real time. I mean, I almost think real time marketing is almost becoming an old school way to do to do marketing and, <laughs> yeah. and there's still too many people who aren't operating that way and 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 now we're getting into this idea of predictive you know where yes. we ought to be able to anticipate what people are thinking and looking at. any any comments there we are also in the middle of a predictive lead scoring project nice where we are taking our historical lead database and you know basically feeding it into one of these algorithms and trying to predict where our best leads came from and therefore where we should shift our marketing spend to get more that look like those. So we're not done yet, but that's really cool. And again, you know, we've got the technology now, but it's such an obvious thing. Like, why wouldn't you test two different offers on your page? Why wouldn't you analyze your database? Because you, you, you can then find patterns. And I think the reason is because it was 
just really hard. It was a lot of work to do in the past. And the nice thing now is with some of these platforms is it's not, it's not super expensive and it's not that difficult. And so now really it's within the reach of, you know, I'll say any mid-sized company and in some cases even small businesses can take advantage of these kinds of things. All right. So an obvious comeback from what are probably a lot of people listening to say, yeah, fine, whatever. Tim works for a high growth cloud <laughs> software company in Silicon Valley. I would expect him and an organization like that to do all that cool stuff. I, I run a hardware store in, in Des Moines. That has no relevance to me. How, how do you address that question? So I will say that this is more applicable to online businesses. So if you're selling anything online like hardware, uh, one of my favorite online shops, by the way, is called doorknobs.com. I bought a lot of doorknobs on that site. And there are a lot of mid-sized companies that are doing e-commerce that aren't large. And in particular in e-commerce, you can make a huge difference but if you are really just a small local business, why don't you do A-B testing around the mailers you send out? Or if you're a realtor, send out two different versions and see what happens. It's not that expensive. You know, change the picture of the house on the postcard or change your picture or whatever you're going to feature and just see which gets, the, which gets the better response. And this is going back to the 60s and both David Ogilvy and Les Wonderman figuring out how that direct response marketing could drive businesses further. So... Anybody can do it, and you can just start off small with simple things and, and grow from there. Mm -hmm. Outstanding. All right. Well, Tim, as I suspected, a cool conversation, and uh, uh, me thinks there's uh, some other things you and I ought to reconnect and talk on uh, long term. So uh, I appreciate you being on the show. I, I have a feeling we'll have you back. Much, much more we can dive into on all of these subjects. So, all right, cool. Uh, before I let you go, Tim, how can people contact you? Should they have questions, where can they learn more about Encapsula? And most importantly, where can they get their hands on a copy of The Professional Marketer? Certainly. So the best place to go is my personal blog. So it's www.matthews with two T's on marketing. So it's matthewsonmarketing.com. And you can find links to my blogs, my books. I have got a couple actually. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm just at Tim Matthews SV for Silicon Valley, of course. Of course. And uh, Encapsula is just uh, I-N-C-A-P-S-U-L-A.com. Encapsula.com. You can check out and even get a free trial of our service. All right. Tim Matthews, Vice President of Marketing with Encapsula and the author of The Professional Marketer. Tim, a real pleasure to have you. Thanks again for stopping by and joining us. Likewise. Thank you. All right. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Again, on behalf of our guest, Tim Matthews, I am Todd Schnick. We'll see you soon on Intrepid Business. Intrepid Business.